So this is Craig Custance here with Pierre Lebrun in a very special episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. I'm replacing Scott Burnside, the unreplaceable. Um, and we're sitting here just you know, a few feet away from the ocean with Columbus GM Yarmo Kekalainen, who um, maybe can take a deep breath. I don't know, maybe not. There's, <laughs> it's been a wild month or so. Um, so, Yarmo, let's jump right in. Is there any way to put into words what these last three weeks, four weeks have been for you personally? Well, I, I enjoy my job, so it's been exciting. And, and every game that I go to, whether it's before the deadline or after the deadline, are exciting. But I think a little more exciting nowadays than, than it has been uh, because of the tight race in the East and, and the projections of how many points it's going to take to make the playoffs. And and obviously that's been our goal the whole year. And, and now now the projections are saying it might take 99 points um, when in the past I think it's been twice where it took 97 points is that correct so it's never taken 99 points to make the playoffs it might this year and that's that's an unbelievably tight race obviously and we're in it so it's a little bit more exciting than it has been before but uh you know i still love it and and i definitely can't take a deep breath um i'm trying to recover from my tennis match and that's the only deep breath i'm taking <laughs> uh last couple of games have been tough yarmo but you expect a little period of adjustment when you bring in new players, new players who are going to play big minutes too. When you're talking about Matt Duchesne and Ryan Dezingle and Adam McQuaid, I mean, how quickly do you think that'll come together in terms of, are you seeing some signs of cohesion there even through the last couple of games? Yeah. And I don't think that's any kind of an excuse for some of the bad performances we've had. I thought we played much better last night against Winnipeg could step into the right direction. I think we deserve maybe a little better than what we got as far as when, looking at the scoring chances that we outchance them big time but end up losing the game and that's that's the game of hockey and it's a game of mistakes and when you have um, good scorers like they do and they'll make you pay I, th- I remember like yesterday the game we played against Tampa Bay this year we played some of our best hockey and I think our first period was we outchanced them 10-2 to two. we're down 2 nothing. <laughs> so you know that's that's what high skill can do on the ice and, and um, you know just uh one day at a time and and um, last year after deadline we made some moves at the deadline started gelling right away I don't know if it might take a little time this year but I'm definitely not using that as an, as an excuse uh, Duchesne's been really good I think Ryan Zingle is, uh, is uh, still finding his game a little bit with a new group of guys new line mates and all that but um, you know we, we believe in him and, and, and he's played well and and uh, you know, we got another opportunity to go at it tomorrow in New Jersey. You remember, like, you know, we look at it from the outside, and it's like, oh, Columbus made this huge decision to push in and be hyper aggressive. Was it? What, like, can you take us through the process? Was there a point where you said, okay, you know, with with JD or whoever, let's turn this on its head and, and be aggressive, or was it? Let's see what the market presents to us. I've been on both sides of the. Uh, when you look at the futures, you know, I've been, you know. Did 15 years of amateur scouting and, and, and you know my main, main contribution to the organization was drafting players and, and you wanted those picks obviously to to make try to make a difference in your job now we don't have a lot of picks but, but the reality is that if you get two out of seven players out of a draft you're doing great you're doing an unbelievable job so let's say that you go one draft with only getting one player because you have fewer picks or even a zero that, that happens too in, in this league and, and I think just because of our prospect pool we were able to 
trade some draft picks. So it's not the end of the world. We still have some time to get some draft picks back. So I guess you could call it ultra aggressive. I I don't see it that way. I see it as a luxury for for and a credit to our scouts where we had so many prospects that we could use some of them to get get short term help. Even even with the risk of maybe that being just short term help, we totally accepted the the fact that it could be just a rental with with all these guys, the guys we kept from our own in uh, Brovsky and, and Panarin. And uh, and Duchesne and the Zingle and and so forth coming in, we we accepted that risk. So we used picks. We used a couple of our prospects. We weren't going to use any of our top top three forward prospects in any trade that was available at this uh, year's deadline. You know, we weren't going to use Foodie or Texier or Bemstrom to trade for anybody. And they're still ours. And that's three forwards. And and uh, you can only fit so many. And those guys are all in there. You know those. Those guys that I mentioned are 19 years old. So, if all goes as planned, they could be in the league for 10, 15 years. And we only have so many holes with the, with the core that we have in in place right now. With Pierre Luc Dubois being 20 years old, and Seth Jones seems like he's been in the league forever, and he's 24. And Zach Wierenski's just getting started, and so forth. And and even our our uh, veteran players like Nicky Foligno, he's he can still be around for a while. You know, having just turned 30 a little while ago. And, and um, you know Boone Jenner is just just getting to his prime. So all of our core is just, is still in place. You know we're obviously going to get tested in the goaltending uh, if Sergei Bobrovsky decides to leave. But uh, Korpisalo's been a good number two. I think he's going to get challenged uh, to be a number one next year if Bobrovsky decides to go. And then um, you know we have Elvis Merzlikins, who's probably the best goaltender uh, outside of the NHL. And has played on the uh, World Championships and been great there for two years in a row. And we we have big expectations for him. And time will tell how he'll do here in North America. But we have some great prospects that are going to be a huge part of our future. And and even though we don't have as many draft picks as we'd like to now, as I said, we still have some time to get some back. But we'll be fine. Well, I was going to get to that, Yarmo. You will certainly have the ability to get some picks back, I think, in the offseason if indeed Bobrovsky and Panarin decide to go to market, and if eight years matters to them, I know you got to be careful how much you open your playbook here, but there's only one team, according to the rules, that can give them eight years, <laughs> and that's you guys. Correct. So that's something to keep in mind. I yeah, guess. Well, yeah, yeah. we can uh, help lower the cap hit for a team if, if that's the route that they want to take, and that'll cost some uh, draft picks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to also uh, talk about your path, Yarmo. You earned it really the honest way with all your years in scouting and and I, I want to get to a subject I don't know if it excites you that much because no one likes to be labeled but you're the only European general manager in the National Hockey League and it, I think I don't want to say shameful but it, it, it amazes me to this day in 2019 how it's always the same group of people that seem to get opportunities in, in our game and I you know I asked the question at the news conference for Gary Bettman at the All-Star game you know why we haven't had a woman GM yet in, in hockey, and and so I think the sport still has a, a lot of room to grow on all kinds of all kinds of uh, avenues. But for you, if you want to talk about your journey with us, I mean, you know, you're from Finland, and yet so much of your uh, you're almost a hybrid North American slash European person in terms of playing U.S. college hockey and, and all your years scouting over here. How would you capsulize your, your path to becoming a GM? Yeah, it was certainly a long one. Um, I, I uh, when I started, I was doing a little bit of a dual role. That's not 
I think even possible anymore where I was a GM of a team in Helsinki and with IFK Helsinki and uh, from 95 to 99 and I did some scouting for Ottawa at the same time and actually uh, worked out good for, for both I think I was uh, you know did, did my contribution to Ottawa in building building that club and then and, uh, I was able to uh, see a lot of players in Europe and help, help build a team for IFK Helsinki and And I enjoyed every moment of it, but I, I, I grew to really like the managing part of the uh, the job, is you know, living the uh, the wins and losses with the team, and and growing with young players, and and seeing the team gel together and come together, and we won the championship in '98. It was one of the best experiences of my life with that team, and um, and then I went full time in the NHL in '99 with Ottawa, and. and uh, From there on, I worked 11 years straight and just amateur scouting, and I really uh, grew to miss the uh, the managing part of it, and that's part of the reason why I went back in 2010. Fam family reasons were the other reasons were my daughters didn't seem to know know me that well anymore because I was on the road so much. But um, you know, it's it, scouting is great. I love watching hockey and, and and great friendships from all those years with this, with the guys that. We're on the road at the same time, same tournaments, same hotels, a lot of camaraderie and, and, and friendships. And, and, and um, you know, I work with some of those guys uh, for many years and still do with guys like Villa Siren, who I started with uh, uh, with Ottawa first time entering into the scouting part of the world. Ray Shiro always tells a story where I got hired for, I think, for $3,000 or something for to be a part-time scout while we're still playing in Sweden he wanted me to watch this Swedish Junior League in, in the uh, weekends and he paid us paid me $3,000 and I called him and I said do you mind if I uh, he thought I was asking for more, more money and before, and he's like interrupting me before I got to tell him what I wanted to tell him it's ah we don't have any more money and I said no 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 I want to split this money with Villa Siren <laughs> so we made $1,500 bucks each And Villas here is the head scout now for the Columbus Blue Jackets and our director of amateur scouting. And we've been together, um, you know, in, in various situations. We played together. We scouted together. We, uh, you know, he, he was helping me out with with Jokerit. He was uh, working with me with St. Louis. And now he's still with me in, uh, with Columbus. So that's a great example of, of the friendships and, and relationships that you build in this business. And... And uh, the, the years in scouting were great, and I, you know, I've always, I'll always have great memories of it. And I think that I earned my way to this job from that. But uh, I, I, I really enjoy the managing the team part and living with, you know, the other wins and losses and the whole scale of um, the, the the emotions that you go through with the team um, during a year of hockey. I would think on some level. Coming in the way you, you had to work your way up, you're, you're, you know, like Pierre said, you're the only European GM. I, I would, I would almost think that a guy like that might be a little conservative in how they approach the job. Like you don't want to mess up, you don't want to. I don't know if you'd feel more pressure or not, but in fact, I feel like your approach has been the opposite. I mean, you think of some of the biggest trades we've seen, Panarin, even Marion Gaborik. Uh, yeah, Rick no, Rick Nash was uh, got all the yeah um, and Johansson yeah yeah Johansson yeah. for Seth yeah. Jones. Yeah. I mean, you've made some monster deals. Is where does that 
philosophy come from in terms of that aggressiveness? I mean, is, do you feel like that's a, nece- a necessary part of the job to be able to take these bold steps? Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily feel like it's aggressiveness. I, I think that it's it's feeling real strongly about something and then just having the courage to, to do it. And, and that's the philosophy that we preach throughout the organization. It's whether it's our scouts or coaches or players that don't don't uh, be afraid of making a mistake uh, believe in what you believe in and, and and go for it and that's that's the approach that I want to take with my job too if I feel strongly enough about something and, and and people are cautious because it could be a big risk I don't I don't see it that way I don't want to see it that way I encourage every one of our our, our people to work that way so I, I gotta be uh, able to lead the way myself and and uh, and have the courage to go for the moves that we feel strongly about and and have gone through the process. It, it's not like we just wing and get really aggressive about something. It's it's There's a thought process that goes into it. There's a plan, and, and you go through your due diligence. And then even if you see it risky or even if you see it as, oh, you might get criticized, that's not a reason not to go for it. If you feel strongly about it and you've done your work, then you, you have to have that courage to pull the trigger. Right, and with that comes an element of pressure, right? Like you guys, had you done nothing at the deadline or even traded Panera and people would have been like, oh, they're just in a bad spot and what, what are you going to do? And you probably could have bought yourself years of without any criticism. Now, with the approach you did, there, it's I imagine there's people are going to say, okay, Columbus has to win a round or two to make that strategy a successful strategy. Do you have a do you mentally say, okay, this is how far we have to go this spring for this plan to be the, an effective one? Yeah, I don't. I don't see it that way at all. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the philosophy is more more than we see. Okay, here's our team. We have two-time Vezina Trophy-winning goalie. We have a superstar in Panarin, and we might just have him for this year. Okay, let's try to build this team as good as we can for this year without totally mortgaging our future where you know we give up your, some of your best prospects. No, we weren't going to do that, as I said. Draft picks, yes, they're hard to give up, but draft picks are still just draft picks, and even with first-round picks, you're hitting about 30%. And once you go down from first round to second round, drastically drops. So um, you're giving up a potential player, 30% chance a player of being an, an impact player in the National Hockey League. You're not giving up a player. Even in the prospect, there's still a big if. Um, and like I said, numerous times now, we didn't give up any of our top prospects who we believe will for sure be NHL press players and, and impact players. So um, I, I don't see it that where, where we must. I see it as, okay, we're going to do everything we can to make our team as competitive as we can. And, you know, the way I see it with the criticism is that if we do nothing, we get criticized for, oh, they're always just, uh, they're always just uh, talk, saying that, it's, okay, well, let's see in the future and two, two to five years from now we'll be good and they're never, never going for it. And, yeah, yeah, but I, this is not about my survival. This is about uh, Columbus Blue Jackets having the best possible chance of, of uh, winning. And that's the way I have to approach my job. If I'm just here to um, trying to extend my my uh, tenure as a GM, then then I'm the wrong guy for the job. And I find that in hockey, we're it's, we're different than other sports. In other sports, people are used, to, especially in football, are used to players playing out their contracts, and if they leave, they leave. There's cap space available. You know, like like we seem to we're hung up on you have to get 
assets back for for a pending UFA, but there is some merit to the idea and the lease did it last year with JVR and Tyler Bozak you, you, you use up all their time all their service time and try to go as far as you can and then if they leave then you have cap room and you go sign someone else yeah. you know I mean that's Islanders, Islanders are not really struggling this year even though they lost one mm-hmm. of the best players in the league and that's again draft pick's just a draft pick you, you're gonna you're gonna get a player or you're not gonna get a player you, you, there's 70% of the first round picks are our hits or misses or misses in this case where, where 30% of them you hit and you, you find an impact player and the 70% you don't and um, that's 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 a reality and that's why it's easier to give up that opportunity to get a player than, than a real player and that's why nobody's really trading uh, pro, or, uh, roster players at the deadline because if you want to try to win you're not giving up players on your roster you're just giving up futures and um, you know, we looked at it as if, if somebody makes an offer for one of those uh, pending UFAs that we can't refuse, at least we had a, uh, a backup plan here with, with Duchesne and Zingle. It would have been easier to move Panarin if, if there was an offer that we can refuse. But there wasn't one, so. We'd be remiss, we're at the GM meetings, and um, uh, you're one of the guys that comes to the table with ideas almost every year. One year, you, I think you wanted to talk more about Rule 48, and didn't go well for you. I remember you and I sitting uh, sitting by the pool here talking about it one year, but but it's important because that's what this meeting is for, is to keep trying to improve the game and come up with tweaks. So one that Colin Campbell said you came up with this week is a one-minute penalty in overtime instead of two-minute. I wonder if you could walk us through your thought process of why you think that would make sense as a tweak. If the yeah, we've agreed. talked about it a lot in our front office and, and, and um you know, it's it's such a huge percentage of overtime when you when you take a penalty. You take two minute penalty in the first minute of the overtime takes forty percent of the uh, of the five minutes, and and it just seems like when it's four on three and the percentage goes up so much from five on four, the probability that you're going to score a goal that it's it's uh, it's just not fair that if there's twenty seconds left in the uh, in the overtime and you take that two minute penalty then you get 20 seconds and and um, you know the um, we wanted the uh, three on three because we didn't want as many shootouts well we've succeeded with that um, I think it would be a fairer process if we had a one minute penalty in the overtime and it wasn't uh, as big part of the uh, ending the overtime as it is now with four on three so um yeah, it'll be interesting to see once we get to discuss it and what the other teams are thinking about it, and um, uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you canvassed your fellow GMs? Like, do you feel like there's some support for that notion? Yeah, that would probably be the smarter approach, so that you don't get <laughs> kicked out of the room right away. But but I waited for a long time before I made my uh, official uh, agenda items. You know, this is uh, I've been on the job now for six years, and this is the first time I really like officially put in some agenda items there. So I, I uh, made, made sure that I uh, paid my dues before I opened my mouth. I love that. Is, is there an unwritten rule like first year GMs can't come in and start demanding rule changes no I don't think it's a I, th- I think it should be out of respect for the guys that have been here long enough that uh, you listen more than you open your mouth that's that's my life philosophy that first listen for a long time before you open your mouth and before you open your mouth make sure that you've you've listened a lot and thought about it before you do it I feel like we missed a um, obvious follow up when you mentioned Panarin and 
and the offers that that you were I don't know waiting on. Did did it, what was the did you get a great offer? Like where were those offers? You <laughs> yeah. get something, something no, salacious. no, I won't. But but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I wasn't really waiting for offers. I was right. open. Yeah. We said that if you wanna, if you want, want them, then make an offer and treat them as if it's a rental, and and then um, if you sign them, then you add something to it. And that's the approach most of the uh, teams were taking with the guys that they were trading in that similar situation. I know that was the the, the way Ottawa was doing it, and and um, but. It didn't didn't happen. Where I said right from the start, it will have to take a whole lot to uh, and make a lot of sense for us into the future and now to make that trade, and, and it didn't. So we moved on, and and we were able to uh, when when we strengthened our team with Duchesne and Zingle and kept Panera, and then obviously it seems like we're going for it. But again, we're we're going for it as far as trying to give our team the best possible chance to make the playoffs, and and then we'll see where that uh, takes us. All right, this is the last one for me. Is there a scenario where you guys have a great postseason and and Panarin is celebrated in the city and maybe part of this is, hey, let's... let's and he gets free vodka. He gets, he gets yeah. free vodka for life and and everybody falls in love with him and the, he, there's a scenario where he sticks around? Is that in the back yeah, of your why, mind? Not, why not? Why not? I mean, I don't think they'll have to fall in love. They're already fallen in love with him and he's, he's a great player and, and we'd love to keep him and we've told him that many, many times and... But people make their decisions on on different criteria, and it's not my place to set his criteria for his life. And and you get that right to be a UFA. I respect that. Um, I don't have to like it, but I respect that. And uh, everybody can decide on their life that one time when they become a UFA to, to play wherever they want to play. It's happened to, uh, as we mentioned here, with, with John Tavares. He wanted to play somewhere else and in, in uh, Long Island. He did it, and people didn't like it, and they have every right to be disappointed. Um, and it's the same thing in Columbus. And I think it'll happen a lot more, I, quite frankly. It, your fans seem a little more forgiving of the possibility of Panarin leaving than Islanders fans with John Tavares, by the way. But <laughs> every every market's different. Uh, well, Yarmo, thank, thanks for joining us on the Two Man Advantage podcast. Uh, very thoughtful and appreciate uh, appreciate your time. And good luck here. Every game's like a playoff game for you guys here on end. So good luck with that. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Two Man Advantage podcast, and uh, quite scandalous. Craig Custon sitting in for Scott Burnside. We'll never hear the end of that from Scotty. But hey, he didn't come to the gym meeting, so he's lazy, and so he's off the podcast this week. That's a real good substitution. <laughs> that is and changing that is, on the fly and got a better player on the ice. <laughs> and that is the voice you probably recognize it of George McPhee, the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, who stole the show at our uh, recent NHL trade deadline with. Uh, the acquisition of Mark Stone, and I think there's no better place to start but to sort of walk us through uh, that blockbuster. And a lot of us thought you guys would be in that, but I guess you don't know until you go through it whether you actually have a shot at it, right, George? That's right, and, and, and you never know going into a deadline what's going to transpire, and we didn't know. Uh, the night before uh, the deadline, I didn't think we were going to do anything. Um, uh, we had talked to them five days before that, and it seemed like it was a lot, and we just weren't going to participate in it. And then uh, a couple teams dropped out, and we got a call, and we were back in, and and we pursued it. Uh, again, it, it went right down to the wire. A lot of people were talking about big game, 
about the, the Knights' big game hunting all week, and, and we really weren't. We were trying to find a player that might make sense. Um, but when we listed the players, you know, Mark Stone was plan A if it was available, if, if it was something that would make sense in terms of price and contract. And, um, and we thought, you know, if we don't get plan A, we probably don't do anything, you know, because this is when mistakes are made at the trading deadline and on July 1st. And sometimes you don't get plan A and you go to B and C and then you start inventing players. And so um, this was plan A and it, it actually worked out. So the part that fascinated me the most was how quickly a contract extension gets done where I mean we've seen it can take you've been through them it takes months to get something done and now you have a tiny window to make a decision that's going to impact your club for the next eight years or I don't I don't know is it done I don't know what we're saying or in terms of it being done or not hasn't been announced I don't know if it's been announced but can you like I lo- I'm fascinated by that window of time you, you you're close to a deal now it's like oh by the way we got to also cram in this other huge piece of business well, can you take us through that what that was like sure <clears throat> obviously you prepare for that um, that possibility so we had talked to our cap specialist um, about what it might look like what to expect from the other side what we'd like to do and. Um, there wasn't any fooling around. It was. A, I wish all negotiations were that way. You know, they told us what we could. They could do. We we made an offer. They countered. We made an offer. They countered, and it was done. Got done what Ottawa can do in uh, about a year. But uh, and and listen, I, I think probably you can comment on this now that he's your property. Mark Stone's a Vegas Golden Knight. But I, my, my suspicion is you actually. While we always attributed Eric Carlson as a player of interest for you guys, which you can't comment on. I think you you had made calls on Mark Stone before the deadline, like going back probably the last summer is my understanding. We did. Uh, we, we did uh, talk to Ottawa last summer and just let them know if you're moving this player, we're interested. And at that time, they weren't moving him. Was there... It, it just seems to me that the whole Vegas process, if we're just panning back a second, has been really... I don't know if fast forwarded it's a word, but I think mentally I was like, okay, George McPhee's going to build through the draft, and in five years we might see the fruit of the labor, and then they'll be good. Was was your expectation always to be this aggressive in pursuing uh, Stanley Cup this quickly, or when did it turn for you? Um, well, we we clearly wanted to have a good team. Yeah. Um, and we put a lot of thought into that and, and, and how can we do that? And we met with a, a couple of GMs that had put expansion teams together and there were some real good takeaways in terms of what you want to do um, and the identity your team has to have. And then we got playing last year and we were a pretty good team. And you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it didn't. And at that point, we were... We're figuring, you know, how can we make them better? And uh, the traditional way to go um, takes time, takes patience, but it may not bear the fruit that it used to because you don't know where you're picking in the draft anymore. You know, you can really move around. There's no guarantee you're going to pick at the top. And some teams have been trying to rebuild, and they're not getting that number one or two pick. They're a little farther down. Um, 
So um, we we had a good team, and and you know we had a good discussion one day, and we're looking at the team, saying you know we could, you know we've got a good team here. We could we could trade some of the free agents at the deadline and try to rebuild it a little bit. But there's no guarantee five years from now that the team that we would have will be better than the one we have right now. And so why not make this one better? And why not go with these guys? They're young enough. They're good enough. Um, they've got something. We've got terrific team chemistry and character. And, and so we've stayed with it. I, I didn't expect the team would be that good last year. Um, but we did the best we could, and it turned out to be a good team. And yet the amateur draft has still been, going back to Craig's point, you've still needed the amateur draft and your success in it so far to have the assets to do some of the things you've done. I mean, you've traded away guys like Nick, Nick Suzuki and Eric Brandstrom, but you still have lots in the cupboard. I mean, Cody Glass is going to be a special player. Can't do one without the other. So, so the draft right. still has been a weapon for you guys. And we're going back to the draft this summer with lots of picks. So um, hopefully we'll find some more good players that uh, will either play for us or, or be able to use to, to make us better now. Um, it was interesting to talk to people after the trade about Eric Brandstrom. What, what, what did the people of Ottawa getting in him? Because there seems to be like, people either really like him, they think he's a star, or people are like, well, he's top four, but maybe, maybe isn't that guy. Like, what, what did you see? When he's you a good him? player. He's, he's a good young player. He's going to probably be like a Tory Krug who's a real good player he's very smart moves the puck um, he competes he wants the puck he's high character kid there are no issues with this this young man at all we had to give up a good player um, to get um, a, a real good player and we did it George I think I annoyed you earlier this season and I know that won't shock Pardon anyone me? I think I annoyed you I, I wrote a column yeah, I, I wrote a column. You'll remember this exchange. I wrote a column about uh, the usage of, of uh, the number of starts for goalies and some teams believing in the science of, of having a pitch count in their goalies and so on. And it, I don't think anything's proven yet, but we've had now the last few cup champions <clears throat> were for reasons that are completely different between Pittsburgh and Washington, where the starting goalie that year played less than he, he was used to. And it, the idea that he was fresher or whatever, you know where I'm going with this. So. Mm-hmm. Your guy is Marc-Andre Fleury, leads the league in, in, in starts. And I'm just wondering, you know, your thoughts on, on I mean, the guy's, he's your MVP on many nights. He's a special mm-hmm. player. And, yeah. and But your, your thoughts on usage and any concerns there? Well, we're not concerned. Uh, and I, you know, in the front office, we have to rely on our goaltending coach and on our goaltender to to provide information on, on uh how he's doing and how he's feeling. He feels great. He, he's, he's, if you've watched him in, in practices, he's the hardest working guy on the ice. And what he does now is take some practices off. He's never done that. If he's feel, feeling like he's played a lot, he'll take some practices off. He's a nimble, light, very athletic uh, goaltender, different from... A lot of the goaltenders uh, we see today, big, thick guys, um, and he's he's just uh, he's got a genetic gift um, for that position, 
and the goaltending coach doesn't think it's an issue and Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't think it's an issue and I expect that they're telling us the truth so um, we'll do what we can to to get them some rest down the stretch but that might be on off days and not games off now the listener can't see this but George McPhee's really annoyed right now with Pierre for bringing this up again it's it's really blatantly obvious (laughs) I'm actually not (laughs) how far are we to the NHL teams following other like the NBA where it's you know what back to back nights Paul Stashney sit this one out we want you fresh for the playoffs it's just an injury risk waiting to have. you know what I'm saying like how far till we just say okay we're gonna sit skaters on back to backs or whatever uh, well I don't follow the NBA so I don't know what they're doing um, um, I, I, I don't believe in sitting players out going down the stretch uh, I don't know what that says to the players that are playing. Um, and so we're going to play the games uh, the way they're supposed to be played. Yeah. How, as we were talking with Yarmo just about the... You know, that, and, and I qualify that by yeah. saying if someone's playing with an injury, then certainly you can give them time I, to get healthy. I just think you can be preventative. Like, I would look at it. And just be like, this is how, I mean, you're, you're not saying Max Pacioretty's better than the other guys, but they know he's an important part of it. So I would they, say, look. we have to make the playoffs first. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah. I guess if you're no, Tampa I mean, or whoever. Absolutely. Like, I want yeah. Steven Stamkos healthy. So we're, we're going to be super proactive here. These game, this, this game tonight is meaningless. Yeah. I don't know. It's not meaningless people paying for tickets. Yeah, and, I, and, and frankly, um, I, I don't think it's right to do that to the people who are coming to watch your games. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we're going to play our players. Unless someone's banged up, they're, they're going to play. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the the GM meetings, and Yarmo was saying he's, for the first time uh, since he's been a GM, he actually put something officially official on the agenda. <laughs> for, and, uh, how many How many of these? David Poyle usually takes care of that for everybody. <laughs> David does everyone, yeah. yeah. So we were if curious we, if there's unwritten rules or what, like what's the uh, what's the rule for the new guy before he can he can speak up, unless he's Tim Murray. And I, don't whatever think, he I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's any uh, real protocol. I just think uh, most young guys that come in are respectful of the process and of the people that have been in the room for a long time <clears throat> because whatever's being discussed has usually been discussed before. And 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 so probably just uh, best to sit there and absorb and, and uh, listen to what's being talked about and let... Cause it, you know, if you've been doing it long enough, you sit there, you get to the point that you want to get to at some point, you know, uh, the, the conversation goes all over the place, but someone's going to end up talking about what you would have contributed anyway. So let somebody else do it. There are a lot of veterans who like to sit there and let someone else talk as well. How <laughs> um, is uh, coming back and being a GM again after being away from the game in that role for a while, how has that changed, if at all, the way you approach things and, and, and not take it for granted? Maybe you never did, but, you know, I think of some guys like Mike Gillis and David Onis and others who have not had the chance to ever come back, you know, and, and, and there's only 31, soon to be 32 jobs, but, you know, how, how has that been for, for you to know what it's like not to have it? Well, I, I don't think... Uh personally i don't think i ever took it for granted and i don't think a lot of gms do it's it's these are difficult difficult jobs 
Um, you're really lucky to have one. Um, and as Bob McKenzie says, they're, they're life-consuming jobs. Uh, they, they affect every uh, day of your life. Um, I, I, I was um, hoping, you know, I think when you come back, you're better equipped. Um, you've had some time off. You're refreshed. Um, and you may have a better perspective on the game. Um, having watching uh, more objectively um, and I, I, th- I think I think that you know you have different ways uh, of putting your team together and you value certain things more uh, and uh, I, I've found it um, I, I've tried to enjoy it more um, notice things more um, but it's amazing. It doesn't take long. You're right back in the soup, and you're grinding it out, and you're as grumpy as you ever was. <laughs> Dying with every loss. Yeah, yeah. Is there an aspect of the job that maybe people don't realize how challenging it is? Like, I think we sit there and go, oh, man, I can build a team. Give me uh, some cap space and a few draft picks, and I'm going to assemble a great team. What's the, what's the element of the job that maybe goes unappreciated or is challenging you that maybe those well it's an all-the-time job that's that's you know you work every day and you're working two shifts you work your day shift and you work your night shift if you're not working with your team you're watching other teams play you're working every weekend you're working holidays for the most part and it doesn't end there's a little quiet time in august for a couple of weeks but that's about it and it can wear you down and you can't let it wear you down. You can't let uh, the job wear you down. You can't let your owner wear you out. Um, and and uh, and that's where you, you know, you have to stick to what you believe in and have the right people working with you and try to make the right decisions because it's it's easy to get off track. What through your experience, what strategies have you taken to make sure you don't get kind of eaten by the grind? Like, do you do do you make cut out from time to time like what do you do personally yeah like what do you, is there things you do to say okay this is yeah. going to refresh me or this is going to make sure I'm not getting uh, well you try to stay fit you try to eat right but there are you know if you're uh, I found that if if our team is playing and I'm out of town doing something like this I won't watch the game live um, I'll replay it on uh, the NHL um, dot com on, on my uh, on my iPad and watch it in 60 minutes already knowing the result um, rather than be up and down for two and a half hours. Uh, you know, we had a game against Florida the other night that, you know, it was a 6-5 shootout win that would have completely worn me out, you know, but I, I got the score. I was happy with the score, had one emotion and then watched it in an hour and then in some ways you're you're more analytical and not emotional doing it that way. So it's one of the things I've tried to do over the years that, uh, that helps from time to time, uh, because 82 games, uh, plus playoffs, uh, if you make them is a lot. You mentioned good people, uh, working with you, George, uh, Kelly McCrimmon is, uh, in the news these days, uh, because our GM openings and, uh, I think a lot of people think highly of him and, and expect that 
come the off season, uh, your phone will ring asking for permission. Now, I think you confirmed today to one of my colleagues, it might have been Ryan Rashog, that it will have to wait until the off season, right? That you wouldn't entertain uh, someone having a chance now to talk yeah. to. Him. Yeah, I, I, you know, Kelly's a terrific human being and a terrific executive. Um, but I, you know, I'm not interested in letting any employee go in the middle of our season. That, uh, someone wants to talk, that can be discussed in the summer, but we won't do it during the season. Can you, I think there's now fan bases that don't, maybe don't know Kelly McCrimmon or a lot about him that are now invested in him in a couple of cities. What does is, what is Kelly bring to the table as an as a executive? Well, I think you? I just said it, and I'd like to leave it at that because it's, <laughs> you know... Uh, I, you know, you don't want these things to become a distraction. Yeah. So. No, I'm annoying Yeah, good. For once, it's not me. But uh, well, last there's question. no way we're going to get through an interview without some annoyance. <laughs> George is not a guy you want to piss off. By the way, he was he was no. as tough as they came when he played. Let me tell you. A lot of people, younger fans, don't realize that about George McPhee. Let me no, tell you, you, you wanted him okay. on your team when uh, when you played. Um, last question is is the chance at hand for your team uh, you and I were talking about this I think last night but as good a chance as any team to go far again and and yet no easy path you know it's San Jose or Calgary in the first round and then if you win you get the other one probably it's it's uh, it's going to be daunting well we have to make the playoffs that's the focus we've got to play real well over the next 15 games and make the playoffs and then if we get there, whatever happens, happens. It's never easy. No one goes into the playoffs thinking that there's an easy route because there's not. Um, so um, we're starting to play well, like to keep playing well and see where it takes us um, and hope we have, hope we make the playoffs and have a chance to compete. Um, I, Last thing for me, the, the, the whole Vegas experience, the fan base, I, you know, we saw the videos of Mark Stone arriving and just how people are so, and it's, it's video after video coming out of Vegas yeah. that, that yeah. is just incredible. Do you have a moment, like a, an interaction or a story with a fan or a group that really captures what that fan base means to you? And There have been lots of those. Uh, the people in town are just so thankful to have this team. I can't tell you how many times... It, people approach you and in vegas they're really polite uh and thank you for bringing the team i didn't bring the team but they <laughs> get thanked for it and, and for putting a good team on the ice which is really nice to hear i think the moment uh for me um was uh, and there have been so many of them um obviously um i, I don't want to go back to october one but that was um something but when we were in the finals before game two and uh the imagine dragons local band that's become internationally uh, recognized was playing uh before game two on the ice and it's sort of like pop culture and uh this hockey team and the stanley cup finals and you know, not just a sports story anymore, like this human interest story. It all came together at once, and I was going, like, this is really something to be a part of. Mm. It's really, it, who could have imagined this? Um, and then we didn't win another game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at that moment, I was thinking, 
geez, we might actually win the Stanley Cup. That was the first time sort of allowed myself to think it because we won the first game. And I, I didn't think we played that well in that game. But we won, and I thought, geez, if we can play well, we really got a chance here. Um, it didn't work out. But that was the moment where it sort of all came together, and you could sort of sit back and go, this is, this is not only the sports story or human interest story of the year, it's one of the greatest ever. That's great. Well, I say we end it just like that. George, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Pierre, thank you for letting me uh, stand in for Scott Burnside. Any last words? Scotty's in trouble now, boy. (laughs) We had a real pro this week. If I end up missing this week, we know why. And thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, Have a great week.